Hi, and welcome back to The CIO Show. APIs have been around for a long time, but over the past few years, they've really become an increasingly indispensable tool for CIOs and organizations of all types, but particularly those that are heavily customer facing and managing large, large amounts of customer data and, and applications. Forbes recently described APIs as the essential connective tissue that enables companies to securely and quickly exchange data and information with the outside world with potential to improve business results by almost 50%. And coming up, we're going to be talking to two leading CIOs, two CEO 50 alumnus, in fact, um, both in the financial services sector. They're going to explain to us about, explain to us their experiences and motivations for developing their API ecosystems, where they're having the greatest impact at the moment, and how to develop the best strategic frameworks for maximizing their value. Joining us now are Angela Donahoe, CIO with BPay. Angela, welcome to the CIO Show. Thank you so much, David. Really looking forward to the discussion this afternoon. Sure, it'll be a good one. And Lee Gibson, who is the Tech Lead of Responsible Banking with ANZ. Lee, welcome to the CIO Show too. Thank you very much, David. And also Sandeep Sharma, who is Research Manager, APEJ Software, based out of Bangalore. Welcome. Thank you, David. It's a pleasure to be on the panel here. Sandeep, if we start with you, I understand that, that IDC produced its first ever in region, so Asia Pacific study looking at the API market um, only last year. Sure. So, uh, David, thank you for that question. So, let me just uh, talk about our research into the overall software market and specifically about the integration software, which basically forms the backbone of the API economy as we know it. So we have been doing a lot of research around uh, the API economies, specifically in the financial services industry vertical and the banking industry vertical. So we had a state of research coming out uh, for open banking initiatives across the Asia Pacific region. This was done specifically by another unit of IDC, which is called Financial Insights. We have been doing this research since the last uh, five, six years or more. And there's a dedicated team which does research in this area. Uh, from a horizontal tech point of view, uh, when I say horizontal tech point of view, this is the uh, integration software, the integration uh, orchestration middleware piece, which, which as I said, is the backbone for the API economy. We have been doing research uh, on this market also since a long time, but probably uh, in the last couple of years, this is uh, the first comprehensive report that we've come out with, which talks about the overall integration software landscape uh, the major market players, the major trends that we see in the market across different industry verticals, across different countries in the Asia-Pacific region, and uh, you know some of the challenges that the organizations in the region are facing. So this, this is the report uh, that we published sometime this year. We had published uh, you know, some smaller reports last year, but this was a fairly comprehensive report that we published this year. So uh, David, just to give you an idea of what is happening in the API ecosystem space in the, in, in the Asia Pacific region. And then I'll come to what's happening in Australia. So if you look at the entire Asia Pacific region uh, as a whole, then let me say that this has been a hotbed of innovation and digital transformation activity. And I'm just saying that consider this as a hotbed of innovation and digital transformation initiatives, even before the onset of, of the COVID-19 situation. Uh, there were a slew of activities right from, let's say, financial services, which are the usual suspects for any tech-driven transformation activity that happens. So uh, ranging from financial services organizations to retail organizations, uh, every uh, organization uh, in the you know, 
every top organization across several industry verticals focused on these digital transformation initiatives. And the last 12 to 18 months or so have actually uh, accelerated digital transformation initiatives. COVID actually uh, was the precursor for a lot of these digital transformation initiatives. Organizations realized that it is necessary for them uh, to become resilient in the you know, wake of the COVID pandemic and obviously to prepare themselves for future uh, epidemics and outbreaks. And technology uh, is definitely a major, major uh, backbone for business resiliency. So a lot of initiatives uh, have taken place. And let me mention that uh, without some key components of the entire puzzle, uh, the digital transformation initiatives would, would fail to deliver the true value, the true promise that, it, that they hold. And uh, integration of in different components, different IT systems is one such component that as David, as you also mentioned uh, many a times that this is often the connecting glue for different systems. So yeah. we have seen a lot of investments coming in uh, for integration of software, integration of orchestration and middleware piece uh, for organizations in the Asia Pacific region. And this has had double digit growth or double digit uh, growth uh, in the Asia Pacific region and also in the Australian market, uh, if, if you compare the annual YNY growth rate. And if you look at several, uh, and by the way, Australian market accounts for the largest spend on integration software in the, in the entire Asia-Pacific region. Right. If you look at, uh, from a vertical point of view, uh, banking and financial services, they are definitely the largest spenders on, on these technologies, followed by government, uh, followed by telecom and media and uh, you know, manufacturing. There are several emerging verticals like retail and wholesale and healthcare, which have emerged as well. So this is the uh, you know brief background, and I'm happy to take any questions here, David. Yeah, sure. I mean, it's interesting you say, Sandeep, that um, the, the the genesis of of this API trend that we're we're discussing at the moment came from financial services, and of course, both Angela and Lee, um, as CIO of Fifty alum, Alumni as well, um, are both in financial services. Angela, I understand that that you guys have been playing around with APIs for quite some period of time. Talk me through how that kind of started with BPAY and, and what, you know, what you see as, as the benefits that you've been able to derive. Yeah, sure. Um, and as I, as I said to you yesterday, David, I think we get it right in technology where we have some foresight and we invest in, if you like, the foundations of emerging technologies or smarter ways of doing things before anybody thinks they're actually needed. And by the time somebody thinks they're needed, you know, you've got a head start. And so it, it's, so, so is the situation with BPAY's API foray. So it actually precedes my time at BPAY. But our architects felt that there were smarter ways to actually integrate our back-end systems and our customer portals. And about seven years ago, when it came to actually investing more in our customer portals for services, the decision was taken to take an API-style approach in order to link those systems. And so while it was only used for internal purposes, it wasn't directly exposed to our customers. It did sort of set up the pathway of, of our um, approach towards integration in that way and, and building skills. As it turned out, over our, our business strategy over the past four to five years, we've had a really strong focus on innovation, mm -hmm. a strong focus on making it easy to connect in and broaden access to the BPAY products and services. And so our first foray in actually exposing APIs to, to our customers, so BPAY has over 60,000 billers, 
and we service over 170 financial institutions and banks in the ecosystem that we enable. And we developed um, uh, an app for uh, an accounting platform marketplace that would allow users of that accounting platform to actually um, generate batch transactions for the BPAY system and then submit it through the banking system and just sort of reduce some frictions and, and, and make it easier. And to develop that, we had to um, expose our APIs to that accounting platform marketplace. We also had to get much better at understanding customer experience and human-centred design. And it sort of really was a, quite a, a strong turning point for us in many respects, but it was the first time that we exposed our APIs to the market. Yep. Uh, at the same time, our, our customers were coming to us, um, to two groups of customers. So FinTechs, a new entrance to the market, who, who was discovering that uh, the BPAY products and services were, were of interest and value to the customers that they were serving. But they didn't want to integrate in traditional batch methods, which is sort of, you know, has been our heartland. And so that put um, a challenge to us to actually be able to deliver API services for the new entrants who wanted more modern techniques. And our long serving customers who were looking at their technology roadmaps and, and looking to modernize their infrastructure and, and the way they were bringing services to the table also were looking at, at lighter um, and, and easier ways to, to um, support their technology roadmaps. So we had demand coming from two different groups of customers, which really set the scene for our API development. And, and we're now facing our, our third phase of API development. It's interesting you say that you were reacting to effectively demand from, from the market. Lee, has that been your experience as well in terms of the, the impetus to invest more and, and be smarter with your use of APIs? We really find that there's complexity that gets built over time at scale. And so our use of APIs is really to try to simplify um, that ecosystem. And um, I liked, Angela, what you said about adjusting the designs. And I think um, good design is, is ageless. In the 90s, we talked about object-oriented code. We talked about modularity. Um, now we have different buzzwords, but it's still the same. We, we need to segregate the code. And especially with enterprise transformation, you know, some of the areas that, I'm look, that I've been looking at, they really haven't received a lot of love over the past five to 10 years. Oh. I think in some pockets <laughs> of organisations, you know, there's, you, you finish a, a program um, might be very expensive and it, it's completed and then it kind of just gets put onto ice and, and looked after, but there's not necessarily that continuous improvement over time until you see a problem that then needs to be fixed. Um, and that's where the use of APIs can really assist. Um, I think that segregation um, of, of um, services is, can be really helpful. It can allow you to um, upgrade we enable any organisation to use any technology. We help all companies become technology companies, protecting the identity of both workforces and customers. Connecting the right people to the right technology at the right time. Okta, one trusted platform to secure every identity in your organisation. There are several trends uh, which have spurred the adoption of APIs. So starting from, let's say, uh, you know, Angela talked about uh, innovation and the demand coming from different segments of uh, the overall ecosystem, be it customers or even, uh, let's say, 
some of the fintech com uh, competitors in the market that operate so there are there are other uh, avenues and there are other avenues for organizations that have spurred the adoption of apis uh, lee talked about legacy systems modernization or overall modernization so there's this definite legacy systems modernization that organizations are talking about and yeah. one of the key uh, solutions for this is how can apis help the uh, you know help the integration and connection of legacy systems to modern application platforms yeah. that's a, that's a very very important that's that's a very important uh, you know piece of the puzzle here especially in uh, financial services especially in verticals like banking because uh, invariably these industry verticals tend to have some legacy application many enterprises in the region and even in australia are facing the issue of how can they modernize legacy systems and one of the key points here is how can they connect their legacy systems to modern uh, platforms that have been developed for let's say better customer experience and engagement just to give you one example yeah. so this is the case even in in financial services and you know you know banking industry vertical uh, verticals as well so many banks have tried to expose and integrate some of their legacy systems APIs to modern banking platforms. It could be a customer onboarding platform. It could be a loan origination system. Uh, so there are different modern banking systems to which uh, it is possible. There are government entities as well, and I know uh, of a very large uh, use case in Australia that so uh, the government entity developed a mobile application to provide services to to its citizens. To that particular mobile application, and it integrated more than sixty different applications. So that that's a that's a tremendous integration exercise that happened in Australia. So legacy systems modernization is clearly one uh, use case that is helping accelerate the adoption of API. If you look at what is happening around uh, creation of new products and uh, selling of those new products through you know e-commerce channels, so that is another very very prominent use case of APIs. Uh, if you look at, uh, you know, integrations within the uh, organization, so I'm just talking about, uh, you know, applic application-specific integration, and somebody touched uh, upon this as well, that there are initiatives which are being planned, and uh, the, and these uh, these have to be properly integrated to get a true value of these exercise these exercises. So uh, application-specific integrations definitely are very, very important. Yeah. Uh, one, uh, uh, the other important trend that we're seeing in the market right now is how organizations are trying to orchestrate their move to, the to a cloud computing environment. It could be a private cloud environment, it could be a public cloud environment. Ideally, this is a hybrid kind, hybrid cloud uh, kind of a strategy that organizations have. Yeah. The key here is how can organizations have their workloads moved onto the cloud and how can their cloud-based workloads be integrated to the on-prem or private cloud kind of a workload. So this is another key uh, use case for APIs. I would just like to touch upon one last use case, which is around business automation uh, or intelligent process automation as IDC calls it. The entire idea of uh, connecting different business processes and different systems through APIs is the backbone for automation. This releases a lot of efficiency for different organizations. These are certain use cases uh, or certain trends that organizations are seeing and uh, all of these are accelerating the adoption of integration software, integration orchestration middleware. Yeah. Yeah. 
have to agree, Sandeep. Um, you, it seems like you're kind of touching on the, the layers of APIs, how you can have, um, you know, your system APIs and your business service ones and then your presentation yes. layer ones. And that's yeah. really um, that's really critical when we're designing, um, you know, to make sure that you've got services where, there, where there's lots of integration to reuse the basics. So if, you, if you're grabbing customer details or user details, you just have one service that does that, you know, across the organisation. And, and that one, one or one service will fulfill it for everyone which creates that consistency and then when you need a little bit something a little bit different then you'll you'll create that business layer of logic and then when you want to talk to a particular um you know digital asset perhaps you might have a service that will give exactly the the information that a particular screen wants or a particular app wants um, and that's Absolutely. where you can create the you know we can use those apis to create the consistency that you need and to make sure that um you know the from a from an organizational perspective you have that consistency which helps um, keep customer data safe because yeah. um, that's a question I actually I have for Angela Angela over time how do you make sure that your engineers are using services in the right way um, well it's a it's a good question um, well first of all we we empower them so we really embraced you know the agile you know, an abridged Spotify model is with strong product-led teams. Mm -hmm. I've empowered the teams to really, you know, be responsible for owning not just, um, you know, the sprints for feature development for, for products, but actually the whole thing, the whole health of, of that yeah. product set. And so I think taking that holistic approach, it means that the teams, you know, that they, they're under pressure to, to optimise what we've got available, but also think about that long-term manageability and serviceability of, of what we build. We haven't, and it's probably the size of BPAY too. We're not the size of an ANZ or some of these other complex organisations where you might have widely distributed teams, you know, working, uh, you know, across um, different services. So we, we haven't experienced a problem with that yet. Um, but we are, we've certainly had to invest in upskilling, making sure there's good knowledge sharing, understanding, you know, secure development practices and, and being as rational as we possibly can. When we're down our API pathway, you know, some of the advice we were given from those who had gone before us is be really careful about your API designs. So you don't have a graveyard of sort of abandoned APIs that might be a very specific use cases and, and you end up with some complexity that you don't need. So really thinking very deliberately about the APIs and, and, and their relevance and how you can, um, you know, exercise those. So you end up with if you like, that optimal number of APIs that can service uh, the maximum amount of, of use cases that you've got. But um, once again, our environment's probably not as complex as others, so, so I don't think we've hit that to be a major issue as yet. Okay, that's good. Well, we've, we do experience that a little bit because there's multiple architectures and as you're building it and, and um, you know, transforming certain assets, um, it's the architecture that can become inconsistent from asset yeah. to asset and they need to be speaking the same language eventually. Um, yeah, that's... I'll, that's I'll say one of our strengths though. One, one of the things I admire, and I can't take personal responsibility for it, it's, it's our architects, but we've got a really well-functioning architectural review board. Right. It's just grown and grown in terms of um, capability and respect and, and practice. And so, and so every time we've got a design that has to go in, it goes through the rigorous review. So the security teams look at the platform teams and the developers. And, you know, it, it's really become a fantastic mechanism where the professionals come together and those sorts of questions are considered. And so the path being taken 
And of course, it's not right down in the, the nano detail, but it's certainly, you know, the solution architectures that have been proposed for, for the way forward um, is certainly given some rigorous review. And so I'm, I'm confident that we'll catch any major <laughs> deviations and because all the, all the architects attend those forums and, and the key leaders. And so that's our, I think I would certainly be confident relying on that as certainly our, our primary mechanism of making sure that we don't end up uh, at cross purposes. But okay. as I say, our environment's probably a bit simpler than one of your grappling with. And leaders, do you, do you have something resembling an architecture review board yourself at ANZ or is that something that you're thinking absolutely. of? Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And and to be honest, um, the, I found that architecture review boards, they're great for creating the a consistent, um, it's, it's great for making sure that we're not doing, like keeping um, API safe or keeping the architecture safe. Mm. It's not great for designing something new. And so um, we're because I'm often working in the transformation space, building something new that people haven't built before, right. I find that actually creating a set of design principles is really useful because then it, uh, it kind of empowers and it allows the team to think about something new and to, to design something different. And so, um, and, and the design principles also need to go to the boards to be endorsed. Yes, um, of course. And, yeah. and that's kind of a, a good facility or mechanism to allow, um, you know, some new new part, new design patterns or new um, new technology to be considered. Yeah, I think it's an issue there too. When when you've got sort of empowered teams who, who get on with what needs to be done, is it? Is it their challenge to make sure that the outcomes of what they produce are aligned with those principles? And I really agree with those. And we do have a set of principles ourselves. And so it's incumbent upon them to check that they're not going to actually create yeah. costs for the future. Yeah. Is to update done. That's right. And I do find um, it's something we, we've had some success with, but you have to keep working at it, is really cultivating mindsets that think more about the whole and the enterprise rather than just the particular project in front of them. Yes. Do that. You bring a different viewpoint to the table. It might mean there's some compromise or, or the, the passion that somebody has about a particular direction uh, doesn't gain the support. But what we want is a really manageable organisation and an easy to support outcome for the future. And it's not just hitting those dates. And of course, everyone's under pressure, but um, some forethought at the beginning yeah. and um, avoid problems that you don't want to have later. Yeah. There's always so many different ways that you can solve a particular or create an outcome. Um, yeah. It's good to have good to have options that you can consider. Sure. And I think too, technologists often they want to find the opportunities to do the new and the groovy that they they've been really passionate about doing, or, or they've got a particular point of view. Yeah. And finding that balance between allowing a little bit of uh, creativity but still um, being aligned with what you want to do organisationally is, is something we do struggle with. And, you know, I get told all the time we've got too much bureaucracy and you now the developers should have more freedom and, you know, we're too secure. And we go, well, I'm not apologetic about that. <laughs> That's, you know, we want to, we, it's important to our brand and our reputation that, it, you know, it actually filters right, not just filters, it permeates right through the organisation. So we don't want to stymie innovation and, and new ideas, there's ways to do it. You might just have to be a little bit more patient as we, as we work our way through that. Yeah. It, it, seems, it seems to me that this API space is all about practicality and it's a very sensible sort of conversation really, isn't it? And word that you used earlier, uh, Sandeep and, and Lee, you mentioned as well the other day was 
um, resilience. I think that's a really interesting theme in, in the context of this conversation. Lee, if you expand on, on, on what, you, what you were sort of referring to, uh, you know, contextualise that at ANZ. Um, look, resilience means a lot of things to a lot of different people. It's a word that's used a lot um, uh, in quite a few different contexts. In, in the API space, um, res I, my opinion is that resilience can be used around, um, you know, the concept of really graceful degradation of service. So if we have a service that needs to be available for customers, if we have multiple um, you know, multiple integrations with a lot of different assets. If one of those assets has a problem and maybe um, has is is not not available, it doesn't take out service to our end users. It just that particular component becomes an unavailable until we get it back up, and the rest of the service continues. And and that's something that um, I think over time. Sometimes in some organisations, um, there's too much deep integration and, and that availability piece um, isn't necessarily considered by, by teams. And so you might have one component that goes, goes down and then the entire service goes down, which is a terrible customer experience. Yes, it's, it's fascinating. Use, use the term. I think it's the first time anyone's used degradation and graceful together on the CRO show. What are your, what are your <laughs> thoughts on that? <laughs> I mean, uh, yeah, it's it's something that is um, really important to me, and 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 I know that um, you know in, in 2018 when I um, started working with internet banking with ANZ, um, we had a lot of availability challenges, and and there's this, there was a significant number of of interfaces, and by um, making some changes to the way that some of those interfaces worked, we were able to ensure we were able to reduce. Um, unplanned outages by about 90% in one year. Um, and that's that's a lot of happy customers. Yes, that's yeah. awesome. And, and, happy, and, and happy IT people too. Well yes. <laughs> yes. And and you know there was a lot of a lot of different um, things that that enabled that change. Um, but I mean having that focus uh, really made it an impact. Mm. And um, and so now whenever I go and look at some new assets, I want to understand how, how are the interfaces working? How are, how are all those different assets? You know, what's the, how do they work together? Yeah. Well, that, I mean, this, this notion of, of graceful degradation also um, ties in with this conversation about managing legacy apps and ensuring that they're able to operate. And there's, you know, there's proper business as usual as organisations yeah. try to jump from one lily pad to another, is that sort of been your observation too, Sandeep? Yeah, obviously. Uh, so as I said earlier as well, David, that legacy systems uh, are have been there with the organisations and it probably will remain with the organisations because they're simply too, um, uh, you know, too integrated, uh, too comfortable for employees to, to, to be working on, to be replaced. And uh, there are these core systems which are legacy, so-called so legacy right now in different industry verticals. It's very difficult to completely rip and replace them apart and start from scratch for a majority of legacy applications. So definitely uh, you need to actually maintain, a, maintain and strike, strike the right balance between legacy applications and mod modern applications. So uh, definitely AI APIs form the right bridge, the appropriate bridge between legacy applications and modern applications. 
It really depends on what you mean by legacy applications too, Sandy, because, you know, some, cool. some legacy applications um, can be considered fairly quite new and, um, and vice versa. That's, that's, some that's, of the, that's the sort of banking industry perspective, right, Lee? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And um, actually, a lot of legacy applications are great. They ain't broke. Yeah. You don't need to fix them. They can be fast. They do the job. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I know everyone loves to throw eggs at mainframes. Actually, mainframes are so fast with processing speeds. That's why they're still around. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's why they're still here. But it also, it also takes a banking person to have to continue to, to, to advocate for mainframes as well, right? That's such a banking person thing to say. Just having fun. They are really fun. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, it's the ultimate. They they don't have to. There's so much, um, you know. If you if you think about race cars and and you know if you've got a really fast engine and just the, the smallest lightest, um, you know, chassis and body, yeah. you can have a really fast car. There, yeah. That's yeah. that's kind of mainframes don't have to worry about a user experience. They don't. There's all these extra layers that have been really pared back, stripped back. Yeah. Yeah. So um, yeah. they can be really fast with processing. That's it's why they still exist. Yeah. You just need to have people the skills. To yeah. <laughs> just need to grow them. <laughs> need right. to make them cool again. <laughs> exactly. Um, Sandeep, another one of the IDC reports that, that, that we were discussing the other day is, um, is one examining some of the key hurdles that, are, that exist in, um, in the API space. Could you outline some of those for us? Sure. So... Uh... I think one of the key challenges that the organizations are specifically facing with regards to API adoption is, you know, the overall cost. The cost, and when I say the cost, uh, the overall cost of the solution and the value that has to be derived from uh, the overall implementation. So that is one. And uh, more often than not, David, uh, it's the cultural aspects. So, and Lee and Angela have talked about these cultural aspects. The true uh, value extraction from some of these implementations uh, is not possible because of these cultural uh, challenges. So that that's one aspect. The other important challenge uh, or an issue concerning the implementation of API management or integration software is around the idea of security and regulations. Mm -hmm. So uh, just imagine the case when you have to expose your assets to uh, you know external partners. There needs to be a certain layer of security which has to be embedded uh, attached to it. So security and regulations, uh, they, they definitely play an important role. And uh, sometimes they act as a barrier to uh, you know, the acceleration, adoption of these, these solutions. One of the third challenge that uh, is, is often faced by different organizations is the lack of executive support and sponsorship. So uh, as I said, and this ties back to the earlier point that I, that I was mentioning about the value of solutions. So the, because of the fact that you're not able to recognize you know, certain value for a particular solution, this really deters the executive sponsorship and support for some of these continue, continued projects. Uh, so these are the top three uh, challenges that were mentioned by organizations, enterprises in Australia about the adoption of API management tools uh, in the country. Apart from this, there can be issues with regards to standards and governance. And uh, Angela and Lee mentioned about these uh, aspects as well. Governance could be uh, a major, major issue as well. So these are some of the broader challenges that the organizations in Australia are facing. 
do those both res resonate with you too, Angela and Lee? Yeah, for sure. I mean, when we first um, developed our APIs, we offered them out of our private cloud. And um, when it came to being able to meet customer expectations for availability and we wanted to scale that, we decided to move to a, a public cloud offering. And, and as part of that, we really had to grapple with security issues and, and, and robustness. And in our world, um, achieving PCI DSS certification is really important. And so we had to navigate that in the public cloud and were able to do so. It did require investment, it did require time, it did require some thinking, and it was a more complex transition than we had probably expected, but, but it's been a successful one, and we think it's, it's been very useful for us because it's given us really strong and, and, and valid experience of what it takes to deliver services through those environments, but also manage our, our traditional environments. Um, in terms of executive support and sponsorship, that's a really interesting one because with our our, our big step up in investment, um, it's a bit of a leap of faith because for us it was trying to make sure that we were still offering uh, contemporary and relevant ways for the market to connect in with our services. And so, you know, there wasn't a, a compelling business case that were going to be rivers of gold flowing from the investments we were making, but it was more about, you know, keeping pace and, and, and maintaining our customers and, and, and making sure that the product set was seen to be, be relevant and accessible. And we were lucky because it was almost like a co-sponsorship. Co the way we took it forward is our head of product and myself were very prominent. And um, the two people that did the heavy lifting in terms of the, the project work were, were um, peers, um, one in product, once again, and head of architecture and strategy. So marriage of, of business and technology working together was really powerful because it was very persuasive and and we're able to bring different perspectives um, to, to model the approach that we took forward. And so, um, yes, really, really important. I agree with you, Angela. I think it's our responsibility as executives to understand what our business partners want to, to achieve for the organisation and then do what we need to do to, um, to create the necessary value. Um, you know, APIs, I know they're not particularly uh, sexy, but they're absolutely essential for creating that foundation to then speed up um, new features and get more um, outcomes to market quickly. Um, yeah, the customer experience in apps and all these wonderful digital channels, um, if we don't have those back-end services right already, um, they're not going to be um, as usable as we want them to be. So this is necessary foundational work that has to happen. And once it's right, once it's all working and cohesive, um, then it's, it really unlocks a significant amount of um, opportunity um, to, to take new products to market. Yeah. That's, that's what I find really exciting. In our experience too, one of the you know, our embrace of, of APIs, and, and it's um, still relatively early days for us. It did also marked quite a big shift for us in terms of um, service model and service mindset. So as, as a business that was really quite anchored around batch processing and, and really a B2B wholesaling type of uh, service model, by exposing APIs, which can be accessed any day, you know, any time of day or, or night and have to be always on and, and deliver what's needed, it really required a big rethink of, of how we approach services, uh, both in terms of the architecture design, support models, et cetera. So that was something, um, we knew that was certainly part of the implications of what we were doing, but we probably underestimated that impact. And um, but once again, 
the world is changing so fast. And as you were saying, Lee, the customer experience is paramount, whether it's a retail customer experience or a wholesale customer experience, it's still a customer experience. Yeah. And I think business leaders and technology leaders need to be looking forward and be very strategic and, and to be picking the, the technology pathways that are going to best aid business success. And um, the world is impatient and there's lots of choice. And so... Uh, to, to match the competition, everybody has to get interested and increasingly technology is everybody's business. So, so there, is a, there is a requirement of, of a fairly significant cultural shift that is what I'm getting from, from all of you and you highlighted that as well, Sandy. Yes, absolutely. Cultural aspects are very, very important and uh, both Lee and Angela have stressed upon that particular aspect. In fact, uh, if, if you look around the overall uh, DevOps initiatives across different organizations, cultural aspects have been cited as the top reason uh, for, for, for the failure of uh, you know, DevOps initiatives or lack of value that, that can be generated from these DevOps implementations. So definitely cultural aspects matter a lot as, as, as it is culture eats strategy for breakfast. So this is the case. And eats them for lunch as well. <laughs> That's a great. Yeah, I have to agree with you, Sandeep. And um, there's there's actually quite a lot of education pieces that we're doing with um, definitely with my team and, and quite a few others um, in the organisation where we're kind of educating um, about what is possible and then also give, creating opportunities for our staff to play with the new technology to understand it more so that it's less daunting um, if, it, if it then becomes uh, used in a, in a new initiative. So it's, it's quite useful to, so what the feedback we get from staff is that they really enjoy having the opportunity to learn. Um, it starts to kind of stoke curiosity and um, it helps people feel valued. Um, you begin this really lovely virtuous circle of, um, of um, you know, increased usage of new tech. And then, you know, when, when the opportunity arises, um, it, it happens really naturally. And, and because people have had a play with some of the new tech, also getting through some of those architectural decisions and taking things to, to forums is much easier as well. Yeah. Mm -hmm. so, uh, I have a quick question for you, and uh, this is also for Angela. Uh, since we're talking about customer experience, uh, I'm sure you would have formal measurement programs for customer experience and customer engagement. And uh, I mean, obviously, there are these specific surveys which are conducted, but uh, does the IT team specifically have any formal measurement programs or metrics in place? Um, yes, yes, uh, we have um, organisational measures. That's, that's a yes from late, yes. Yeah, it's an absolute <laughs> yes. Um, and, and really, I think we, we look at, um, you know, quite there's quite a few different measures and it really, um, we look at, you know, team happiness, I guess, is without going into to too much detail. Um, we, we are interested um, in how people are feeling and, and want to react, um, you know, quickly if, if we find that there's something, an opportunity for improvement. Mm. Yes, in our case, similarly, um, we, we don't sort of specifically measure, if you like, the impact of the APIs and the ways in which we're offering, you know, the, for customers to connect, but we definitely measure customer uh, support and, um, and, and we, you know, we have a number of measures, um, some quantitative, some qualitative. And I guess what's interesting for us is, is the expanding range of customers is interesting. Um, and we're particularly interested in, in the fintechs, the new market entrants who 
coming on board and, and we're seeing them very present in our sandpits and, um, you know, their preference for APIs. But Lee mentioned um, the engagement of our staff is, is really important because it's through their, their, their skills and their interests that the, the possibilities emerge um, to be able to uh, bring back into the services and products and services that we offer. Um, they're, they're vital contributors to that. And um, I'm delighted to say recently we've, we've, our latest engagement scores have been exceptionally high. Mm -hmm. A lot of that is due to actually our specifically our API work in the IT team. So we had an overall engagement score of 91%, which is we're, we're delighted about. And the teams who were heavily involved in our API programs, so in standing up the platforms and working with them, our providers and, and developing the automation and the skills and, you know, really enhancing our DevOps processes and, and the developers, I can see the, the direct connection between that interesting project work where they've grown professionally and, and they've got that um, delight and, and, and um, satisfaction in jobs well done and delivered has really come through those schools. So, yeah, we, we, we're very pleased. Just finally, a thing that I find really interesting around this conversation is and it kind of ties in with the resilience angle as well, but the, the potential for APIs to um, further empower existing applications and therefore improving IT ROI, I think that's a really, really critical kind of part of this conversation. I don't know what your, your thoughts are, all three of you, on that. It's a fundamental building block for ensuring that, you know, the resilience and the capability and the value is unlocked, absolutely, um, especially having consistency through APIs and look if you have, so we're trying to make our APIs as small as possible because once they start once they start being used by a particular channel, you really can't touch them again. You really, once, once something starts being used, it, it needs to stay fairly static right. um, unless you find yeah. there's a mistake because, um, you know, it's a really interesting um, article from Amazon their API strategy is to build the API, get it running, and then not really touch it again because it's difficult to know how many new consumers or how many consumers you have for that data. Right. So it really does um, become a foundational um, building block for um, for service. Yeah, it's kind of, kind of like when you go to a restaurant and there's like a wonky table, right? And somebody puts the coaster under one of the legs. It's like after a while, it was like, folks, <laughs> don't fix it. <laughs> I, I don't know if I'd use that analogy, <laughs> but um, but yeah, I, I guess once once you've got that table working, which goes into the need to have really good design up front, because yes. once it's established and entrenched, as you say, it, it's very hard to to maintain. And you know, in this world of always on, tolerance for outages um, is, is highly constrained, and uh, it's certainly something that um, you know, it's like anything. Good design is absolutely essential. Yeah. So it sounds like a lot of these APIs are born are born for the purposes of resilience, and 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 they need to be left alone for the same reason, right? They also need to be maintained though too, and I think you know it's still relatively new, certainly for us. So this whole thing about life cycle management, and at some point there's probably going to be constraints with many of these APIs. So, you know, those pathways to, to migrate to, to the new and the better or, or the self-serving is something that um, we, we probably have to get more lived experience in. But, uh, yeah. The documentation is essential as well. Yes. Um, and, and 
definitely what Sandeep was saying around automation. There's so many great opportunities now to, while you're building the APIs, you document the requirements. And if you use certain um, open source, like we've got an open source tool that we use to document requirements and we can use that open source, source tool to create test scripts, to dynamically generate code. You know, there's so many different ways that you can do that to, to then really bake in the consistency to make sure that what you design at the start is exactly what you get at the end. Lee, you said earlier that the APIs are not the sexiest area of tech, but we're happy to change that with this podcast. Thanks so much. <laughs> Thanks so much, all of you, for being part of it. It was a really fascinating conversation. Thanks so much. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks, it's been great to be part of it. Great to be part of this. Thank you. Thanks for joining us. We hope you enjoyed it. We can probably all agree most people working in our industry arrived here by deliberate design, whether it was childhood or teenage ambition leading to tertiary study and then becoming junior members of established tech teams or just being people who love messing around with computers and electronics. Yet we've all, well I can say I have, met people working in tech who actually never set out to be in the industry in the first place, let alone ascend to senior roles. Yet through some twist of fate and chance encounter, that's exactly what has happened. And in some cases, they've found themselves in major tech roles with hundreds of staff reporting to them, managing massive IT budgets. In our next episode, we'll be talking to a group of fascinating accidental CIO heroes working here in Australia about how they came to be where they are today, how their previous professional lives and experiences helped them on their journey, and what advice they have to people who may themselves be considering a sharp turn into tech. We hope you can join us.